Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. What is going on? We had Hurricane Zeta come through yesterday. That is not good for trees. No, but it seems to be okay. All right. It's it's hanging in there. You know what? It's a good thing that you got half of it cut down because then it might not have been hanging in there. I know. We we look at this every time. We're like, ooh, high wind advisory could be bad. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm assuming if you had hurricane coming through, there was no fire pit for that. No. No fire pit for that. Fires in hurricanes (laughs) never go well. No, no, but it might be fun, but no, (laughs) not very practical. We have a great guest with us today, and I'm super excited. I know, I I can see it. I want to chat with you, but I just want to talk to him. I can see it on your face. I can see it on your face. Just go for it, Kelly. Go, dig in. Okay. This story starts 20 years ago. In 1998, so 22 years ago, 1998, I went to Carolyn Mesa's Anatomy of the Spirit at Omega Institute in New York, and... I went into the bookstore there and I purchased a copy of this program called Kabbalah and Ecstasy by Jason Schulman. And I listened to it. I'd never heard of him before. And I listened to it and I have listened to it over and over again. It was a cassette tape series that I purchased, which of course we don't own cassette tapes anymore, but I loved it (laughs) so much that I converted it to MP3 so that I could continue to listen to it. And so I reached out to Jason recently, and he has very kindly agreed to come on to the podcast. And I'm super excited. I'm a little fangirl over here. I want to tell you a little bit about Jason because, you know, I know who he is. (laughs) You guys may not. He is an internationally known American spiritual teacher. 
He's a modern Kabbalist and a recognized Buddhist teacher. He's the author of Kabbalistic Healing, A Path to an Awakened Soul, and the instruction manual for receiving God, the Magi process, ecstatic speech, the Kabbalah monographs, the non-dual shaman, and rebreathing Buddha's Four Noble Truths. So he's been quite prolific. You can find out more about him if you're curious on societyofsouls.com. Welcome, Jason. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here as well. We have been going back and forth on email about different things that we want to talk about. And what we came down to was this idea of the beginning of the spiritual quest and what we are searching for when we begin our spiritual quest. And so many of our listeners are in that state that I thought it would be a fantastic idea to talk about. So do you want to just sort of jump in and give us an idea of what your thoughts are about how people come in and why they go looking in the spiritual world. <laughs> you know, as we all can attest, being a human being is a difficult uh, job description. We come from nowhere somehow, and we're going somewhere, which looks increasingly like nowhere as we get older. Yeah. <laughs> and in between, we have uh, lots of, I guess the Kabbalistic word is spilkas. And the Italian word is agita. We have problems as we go through it. My experience is, is that most people, in fact, I would say this is true of everybody. We look for everything we do in life to reduce our suffering. Human beings suffer just by virtue of coming out of the background of the formless, let's call it that for a moment, into form. Even if we're not conscious of it, we know that form is going to change. We even experience it as babies. One moment we're feeling okay, another moment the mother form is not there and we're not feeling okay, or the mother or father form is dangerous in some way, and we pick that up as babies, infants, as children, and as we go through life, we suffer. People who somehow have been insulated from that suffering, don't usually start searching for a spiritual path as early. But people who become aware of their suffering, and they may not know they're doing this, but they turn their suffering into an ally, and that ally directs them to find out something about themselves. Why am I suffering? Why did these things happen to me? Why is my body like this? Why did my parents treat me this way? Uh, why do I keep questing uh, for meaning and not finding it? So on and so on and so on. That's actually one of the things that I talk to my people about all the time is that when you're feeling uncomfortable, you have a choice to either shove it down or use that energy to facilitate your growth. Right. Right. It, yeah. it, it, takes, it takes a lot of guts, quite frankly, a lot of courage to do that. I, I would say the, the big difference after spending, I don't know, 50 or 60 years doing this particular work, in my case, the difference is not so much what you end up knowing. It's your attitude of opening your heart, mind and body to just what you said, Kelly, to being able to try to meet everything that comes your way as a potential ally 
toward deepening your own consciousness, understanding of your life, and uh, incarnating into your own life so that you're present and located. Yeah, that's totally true. One of the big challenges that people who are just walking in have is that the desire for safety is greater than the desire for growth in a lot of cases. I'm all for safety. Yeah. It just doesn't exist for any length of time. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, you know, uh, that an experienced spiritual practitioner says, you know, to hell with safety. I don't want it. I don't need it. That would be some sort of fantasy that disregards the uh, small, vulnerable human component that makes up our being. So we look for safety, but we have to come to terms, as you said, with the fact that ultimate safety does not exist and that freedom, therefore, must be something that does not involve safety in the way we might have thought about it when we started our quest. It might be a different way of relating to safety than we thought it was going to be. I tend to reference for people that the idea isn't to try and control the world outside of you so that you can always be safe. The idea is to empty out the stuff inside of you that allows others to push your buttons and make you feel unsafe and to learn to rely on your ability to adapt and to learn to acknowledge that you're a survivor and able to adapt and able to be okay, even, you know, when things have not been okay. And to recognize that that is its own form of safety in its own way. It's not creating an outside environment. It's allowing yourself to be the amazing adaptable person that you are and to be able to learn to be okay with whatever shows up. Right. The way I think about this, maybe this is a little, I hope I can, com can communicate this uh, uh, because it's a subtle thought, but there are two parallel tracks that go on in a, a good spiritual path. One of them is to become less. So one is to have more humility, to see the size you really are, which is not of that of a world conqueror, but of a world participant. So all of that is working with suffering directly, working with loss, so on and so on. The parallel track is personal growth, of becoming aware of your own power, of becoming aware, just as you said, becoming aware of your your own power, your own ability to navigate through difficulties, your own ability to take back your place. You know, in, in Kabbalah, there's a, a, an ancient book called the Sefa HaYitzharah. And one of the things it talks about, it says, make the creator sit on his base. And one interpretation of that, my interpretation is, we're not talking so much about only the creator as a separate God, but make the creator, the person themselves, sit on their base. That means they have brought their personal self back to themselves. Nobody else has pieces of themselves anymore that they're owning. You start owning yourself. So those two things are two parallel things. They seem to be opposite, but they're reconciled in a good spiritual path where you have personal power and you don't own anything eventually. 
I actually say something similar, but from a different angle that you might find interesting. Well, yes, you hear. I usually look at it as the masculine and the feminine spiritual paths, starting from the heart chakra up is the masculine and starting from the heart chakra down is the feminine. <laughs> and from the heart chakra up, we are in the process of stripping away, stripping away, stripping away, stripping away until we become nothing and we become one with everything. Mm. And the feminine process is the process of accepting and receiving and mm. accepting and receiving and embodying mm. and until we accept and receive and embody and become everything mm. and therefore become one with everything. Well, I love that. I and, love that. And the goal is to do both at the same time, yeah. right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, if not at the same time, eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. <laughs> no, you do them individually mm. initially and then you balance them. Yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I like it. It's like the, in the Tao Te Ching, it's like the valley spirit. The valley spirit is, you know, the feminine. It's that deep earth. I'm all for it. A great mystery in Native American tradition. They mm -hmm. refer to it as great spirit and great mystery. Mm -hmm. I work with my students in the process and we, we step into the feminine. And I, I keep explaining to them, okay, the masculine's in the light, which means you're understanding with your mind you're understanding the process and you're learning to quiet the mind and you're learning to release from that angle. When you step into the feminine, it's an experiential process and it's in the darkness and you can't walk into the darkness and go looking for the light switch. It isn't there. <laughs> well, it's so interesting. I have a new book coming out in about three or four months called Beyond the Now. And one of the essays in that book is called Healed in Darkness, Revealed in Light. Ah, that's fantastic. I think that we would both enjoy reading that essay over a cup of tea. <laughs> I would love that, yes. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It's so interesting. Now, I know you do a lot of healing work mm. in your practice. And, and I was just talking to someone today about this story that my shaman told me about mm. healing. And he said, the apprentice shaman about to go out for his final vision quest before he is initiated fully is walking out to find his place of power. And he's talking to the good spirits on his way. And he's saying, you got my back, right? Because I'm a little freaked out right now. You got my back. You're going to be, you're going to, you're going to be with me. Right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we got you. We got you. It's, it's, it's all good. So he finds his place of power and he sits down and he waits and the evil spirits set upon him and they rip his flesh from his bones and they scatter his bones to the wind. And in the morning, the good spirits come and they gather his bones back together and they knit his flesh back onto his bones and his skin back onto his flesh. And he looks at them betrayed and he says, what happened to you? Where were you? You said you were going to have my back. And they said, no, no, no. You should be really grateful that so many different evil spirits set upon you this evening because only those spirits that left their marks in your bones, those are the only ones over which you will ever have power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, ah, oh, that's so true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we talk about the wounded healer, right? And the, the fact that you really do need to go through and heal yourself before you go and try and start healing others, because otherwise you project onto them or you pretend, you know, you, you will take on their stuff instead of healing it and whatnot. So well, you can't know somebody unless you can't know their particular 
flavor and uh, feel of what they're going through unless you've gone through that. Yeah. That immediately is a healing in and of itself. Before you do any magic, before you do any, say any wise words, when somebody recognizes someone else who has been through what that person's going through and is still standing and maybe even seems more put together or even happier, that itself, just being in the presence of that dyad, don't you think? I think Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations like that with, with people who call me up and they're like, well, I'm having this. And I'm like, yeah, and you're probably having this, 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 and this too. And they're like, I've never told anybody else that. How do you know? I'm like, because I've been you. I know. You know, I've been where you are. I get it. Then you become a vehicle for their healing. Right. There is something that shifts when, when you feel witnessed for the first time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? It's huge. Even the second time. Yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, here I am sitting on my land. I have a small amount of acreage here. And I'm looking at my pond. We have ducks on it. And the day is gray. All the leaves, most, I'd say 80% of the leaves are down. And there's something about this season. My wife, for example, when it's a sunny day, she just opens up. She says, ah, sun. And she feels alive. Give me this, though. These gray days in the fall. To me, this typifies a kind of aspect of the spiritual path that I prize very much, which is kind of a enwrapped place. We all want to be enwrapped. Even when we give up the notion of safety, we can still be enwrapped. Yeah. To be alive means that we have that need for closeness, for touching, for being enwrapped. There's a, a Kabbalistic word called splendor, chod in Hebrew, which means to enwrap yourself in splendor, in God's splendor. That's what the talus is, the, the prayer shawl. Mm. So on this kind of day, that's, you know, I have a sweater on, that'll be my, my prayer shawl. But I guess I feel this way because I hear the work that you're doing and it makes me feel enwrapped. It makes me feel like the people who are coming to you, the people who are listening to you, learning from you, are getting good stuff. They're, mm -hmm. they're getting enwrapped in truth rather than in pie-in-the-sky uh, kinds of stuff that won't end up uh, healing. So I guess all of that was to say I love healing, and that's what I'm feeling here. Jason, I have a question for you. Sure. Kelly gave your background, some of the books that you've written, some of the teaching paths that you've learned and you follow and you teach. There's so many different various ones, and when we hear you speak, we hear all of them coming through. Yeah. I heard the talk of suffering and, and the, the noble truths of Buddhism in there, and I've heard so many different ones. We're talking today about people beginning their their journey what was it that sort of triggered your journey and you starting down the path that you did because it's been a a traveled path it seems yes well first of all i i came in with a certain type of mind that type of mind that i came in with was one that was mystified by impermanence and took impermanence personally one of my earliest memories, when somebody, has, some famous person had died, and there was a news article, I remember I was about five years old, 
And I asked my mother, who was that? And she said, oh, that was a very powerful person. And I said, well, what's going to happen? What are they going to do with their things? And I, I realized at that point, I didn't actually, it wasn't a question. I realized they, that everything they were was left behind. I'm, I'm a Scorpio rising for those astrology buffs out there. So life and death, death and rebirth are deeply on in my mind. So I was a very sensitive kid who was very curious and scientific and wanted to find out from a very early age what this life could be about when we all knew it was going to end. So that was one part, kind of the philosophical genome that I was born with. Yeah. The other part was, for whatever reason, there was uh, a fair degree of suffering in my family. And uh, I suffered a lot in my early days in my family. It turns out there were reasons for it. My dad, he was a, a concentration camp uh, a liberator, first in, and he had tremendous PTSD. He was actually ended up being a hero, but it was difficult. So there was a lot of suffering that I was uh, prey to with a very sensitive, acute soul that seemed to know something else. I knew this other thing, and I couldn't correspond the two parts. So I started actually reading. You know, I, I, I still have the little mentor paperback here on my shelf someplace of reading Confucius, as they called Confucius in those days when I was 11, 12, constantly reading science and science fiction, always an important text for any would-be spiritual teacher. Absolutely. Because they know things. <laughs> And then, of course, I was involved with Judaism because my family was involved with Judaism. But I couldn't find anything in Judaism that was satisfying until much later. And by the time I was 17, I was deeply immersed in reading about Buddhism and Advaita, Hindu non-dualism. And I became a Zen student when I was about 17 years old. Wow. Continued that throughout my whole life. And still kept going back to my birth religion to try to find out what my people had to say about all of this. And Kabbalah didn't attract me. It seemed to be very intellectual, very conceptual. And I loved the clarity of the Advaitic non-dual stuff and the Buddhist stuff and mind. It was, it was good. But I kept going back and forth between tremendous experiences of freedom and then them having them disappear and being left with my personality and feeling bereft and suffering. So then I'd go back to the personal God and pray and, and do all of those things. And then I would feel like a human being, but I didn't have any glamorous big picture. So then I'd go back to the other one. And we'll go look for the big picture again. Then I'd go back and forth and so on and so on. So crossing that territory was how I learned. Going from A to Z means you have to go through the whole alphabet. So I did. And because of the nature that I had, that I was born with, nothing to do with me, that the genome that I came in with, I had the ability and desire and curiosity to learn all of these things and stay with them for long periods of time until I had a kind of revelation about Kabbalah and about a healing modality that was embedded in it that nobody had ever really brought out. 
and then started my work almost accidentally. I was never intending to be a spiritual teacher or a healer, but I got sick for seven years, and that sort of changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> when spirit calls, the clue by four to the forehead is often challenging. Yeah, yeah. This was in the form of a little tiny bug. Nobody knew what it was back in 1978. So that's, that's, that's pretty much how I got into it. And I was lucky to find uh, like-minded souls, lucky to find people to study with, lucky to marry a woman who's my teacher. Lucky, lucky, lucky. And I think for our listeners, you know, many of them are on the start of this journey, or many of them are preparing to start, and some of them are, are a couple steps in. But to hear your story about sort of how you jumped into that journey and all of the foundational stuff that, that led you there, I think is, is just a wonderful lesson for them. Don't you think, Kelly? Absolutely. Yeah. The one thing that I've noticed about every spiritual teacher I've known who's further along in their path is that they take things from everywhere. Their entire life informs their practice. You know, I've noticed, Jason, that you have gone through a variety of different practices as well, the Buddhism and the shamanism and the Kabbalistic approach. And, you know, there's all of these things. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but all of these things really are just forms for me right? to manifest what I know. My personal path is entirely different. My personal path is trying to integrate into my personality all the things that I know. Mm-hmm. Because I don't mistake confusing all the things that I know with how much I can integrate. Right. So my personal path is integrating that moment by moment, day by day, year by year. So all of those things were structures that I was able to fit my thoughts into so that I could communicate them and make a replicable path for people. The, the things that came out of this were non-dual Kabbalistic healing, which is a four-year program in our school, impersonal movement, which is a movement work which gives the practitioner a bodily awareness of the non-dual state, the Magi process, which is a conflict resolution work for inner conflict and conflict between people and nations and whatever from a non-dual point of view. And there's no book on the work of return. The work of return is a self-healing modality. But all of those were things that I understood how they could be done and how people could learn them and replicate them so that there was there was an actual path, an actual benchmarks or landmarks that they could follow with exercises and meditations and chants and, and so on. You know, I just want to say that it doesn't matter when you get the call to start entertaining the spiritual path within yourself. Some people do it at four or five years old, and some people do it at 55 years old. It doesn't matter. There's a little story, not a, it's, a, it's a novella by Tolstoy called The Death of Ilan Illich, which I have to reread. So for any Tolstoy fans out there, if I get some of this wrong, please write to Kelly, don't write to me. <laughs> but as I remember the story, Ilan Illich was a kind of troublesome guy. He had lots of problems in his life. He complains a lot in this novella, as I remember. And nobody really likes him. And he's in the other room on his deathbed, kind of dying in the process of dying. And everybody's in the other room chatting. 
because they don't really want to be with him because he's just such a, you know, just someone you don't want to be with. Yeah. And something happens. He's reviewing his life and thinking about his life. And suddenly things change and he opens up and he hears these voices of his children and his wife and, and his friends. And he has this tremendous open-hearted thing on his deathbed. And he's just illuminated. I hope this is what Tolstoy wrote. <laughs> it's a great lesson that it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. Yeah. The quest for freedom. Your journey begins when it's ready to begin. Yes. And so many people are waking up in the last few years. It's just been stunning at how how many people are flocking into the spiritual world from from my perspective. I don't know if that's what you've seen too. Sure. Even on the political scene in America with everything that's going on, you know, people are, you know, waking up to social issues is quite an event yeah. for most of us. And Jason, you said earlier that human beings suffer and it's that suffering that gives them awareness and often leads them to start this journey. And as you say, in the last couple of years, there's been plenty of suffering that people have, have used to sort of jumpstart right. their journeys. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And now, look, here we are on, on Zoom, and we're becoming friends, but I can't visit you, right? right? I can't yeah. visit you because of the COVID. That's, it's really, it's a big time thing. Yeah. This is where we need each other most of all. This is where things that you're doing, Kelly, and you're doing, Joey, and what we're doing are most important. That enwrapment that I talked about before, that gathering together. Being a community builder myself, because I, that's what I do. It's more challenging on Zoom. You can do it, but it's harder. Absolutely. There's, there's no substitute for physical connection. But um, but thank God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. No. That's crazy. I can't even imagine not being able to see anyone else, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it, this is the time for it if we were going to have it. But before I forget, Jason... Can you define for our listeners what non-dualistic is? Because I know there's some people out there going, I don't know what that means. Yeah, non-dual. Let's say that non-dual means, <laughs> oh, so much to say. <laughs> Let, let's say that non-dual means that the one, however we understand that, and the multitude create each other. That we can't go to the one and think we have a picture of what the one really is. We can't go to the multitude, the many, and understand without understanding what connects them all. They need each other entirely. To the extent that, for instance, let's say, if I said to you, Joey, I said, are we far away or are we close? You might answer, we're pretty far away because you're in Boston, I think you said, yes. right? Yep. I'm in New Jersey. However, that was a calculation that you made because we're on the same planet, so we're close. Or you're not in in Tanzania, mm -hmm. so you know, or Tasmania, or wherever. So we're, we're close, relatively close. Mm -hmm. So the word "far" doesn't actually have a meaning all by itself. It only has a meaning with the word near. So near, it's all relative. Those two words have to come together. They, in Buddhism, they call that codependently arising. Hot and cold, same kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Hot. Well, that's hot. 
well, it's not hot compared to the sun. It's hot compared to cold. Yeah. So non-dual is like that. The, the many, the things of this world, and the unitary principle arise together. There's no separation between those two things. That thought, as one lives it out and unrolls it, has profound implications. For instance... It's probably more than you want to know right now. But for instance, it means that eventually in every material object, you can see God. In every person, you can see God or you can see the totality of existence. It's not that you see the galaxies and all the planets. It's that feeling that we have when we're seeing the totality. We can have that with each individual thing. So... We get to the point where the personal and the transcendent arise together. It's not a matter of going to the transcendent and hiding out there or going to the personal and hanging out there. It's that they actually don't exist without each other. There is no personal without the transcendent and no transcendent without the personal. So living that out, understanding that, and working with that is the task. Really. And that is such a, a rich conversation you know you you sort of summarized it for us there but there's so much to that that i would encourage everybody out there while their brains may be going whoa what just happened take some time with that sit with that construct because that really is such an amazing thing to sort of give you some perspective on just life in general whether you follow those teachings or not it's it's really powerful construct. Yeah. And I just want to, because everybody's always asking me how, 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 right? <laughs> how do we do that? And so I want to say that, you know, I see people who touch the transcendent and then they want to leave their bodies and stay there, right? The personal path is so painful. Exactly. And the transcendent, when you leave your body to go to the transcendent, it can be amazing. When you stay in your body and touch the transcendent, then what you're doing is on an energetic level, you're actually connected to everything while still being fully you. In Native American culture, they might refer to it as walking in beauty, right? Yeah. Where you are one with everything and you are in yourself and you're fully present and, and yet you're connected to all that is. Well, that's, that's beautiful. Let's take it even a step further, much further, reframing it even a little bit more. There's no transcendent unless you have a body to experience it. Yes. Thank this you. wonderful body that we have can do that. Our wonderful mind can do that as it heals. Yes. As it heals, all that work you talked about in the beginning, that step-by-step personal empowerment work has to be done so that the body is a receptacle for all of that walking in beauty. Absolutely. In non-dual shamanism, we have names for these two things, which are just different. They're not better, just different. That walking in beauty we call quality. So you can understand what we mean by that. Yeah. And the other thing we call continuity density. Continuity density. That's the, the continuity, which is the this almost immaterial transcendent aspect of continuity, continuousness, and density, which is all the specifics of this world, whether they are a Jason or a Kelly or a Joey or a glass or a pen or a pad. So, and they arise together. They can never really be separated. So, you know, it's, it's good to have a teacher on the path. 
because it's very easy to have the ego in pain, the unhealed ego, which is in pain, looking for any way out of that particular pain. And the counterintuitive move in spiritual paths, as we know, is to walk into it. Yeah. I, I've always said the fastest way out is right through the middle. Yeah. That, you know what? I always said it right now, and I, I, would, I would go back to that uh, black spiritual. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. Oh, rock my soul. Now, yeah. Right through the middle. Yeah. There was a practice that you did throughout the recording that I heard that mm-hmm. I don't even know if you do these anymore, but I'm going to ask if you do. <laughs> And you you did uh, these chants. Mm-hmm. Is there a chant that you can think of that would be good to share with our listeners? Well, I'll share a few of them. Oh, that'd be fantastic. One's asked me that in years. <laughs> I'd love them. <laughs> you know, I, I don't teach the, the four-year program anymore. My uh, senior people all teach the four-year program. So, uh, you know, uh, if I chant, it's in my room or in my, in my bathroom and no one hears it. So... Let me see. There's so many different ones, and I haven't done them in so long. The words of this one are, what is this pain in my heart? It is you. What is this joy in my heart? It's you too. What is this sorrow? What is this gladness? It is you. You are one and not two. And this one goes like this. What is this pain in my heart? It is you. What is this joy in my heart? It's you too. What is this sorrow? What is this gladness? It is you. You are one and not two. What is this pain in my heart? It is you. What is this joy in my heart? It's you too. What is this sorrow? What is this gladness? It is you, you are one and not two. And we would sing that for a while in class. I think we may have to slice that out and put it on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see what else. Oh, Mother, you who encompass all things. Oh, Mother. You who encompass all things, oh, Mother, you who encompass all things, you make my heart sing. Oh, Mother, you who encompass all things, oh, Mother, you who encompass all things, no, Mother, you who encompass all things, you make my heart sing. It's another one that I like to sing myself. My partner in, in years two through whenever, to, through five of the programs that we do, she has a process that she teaches and, and Mother is one of the pieces. It's mother, father, child, and unity. Mm. And I'm totally going to make sure she listens to this episode so that she can hear right. that because it's it's right. absolutely in alignment with, with the work that she does. This has been awesome. 
This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Jason, so much. You're very, very welcome. I enjoy this too. Thank you for coming on. I, I so appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Good luck. Getting All the work you guys are doing because the world really needs it. Kelly, is there anything you wanted to sort of mention as we wrap up here in the episode today? As you listen to different people, because, you know, many people who listen to podcasts listen to many of them. As you listen to different people, try not to be attached to the path and instead listen to the wisdom behind it. Because we all take different paths and we're all basically what is true is this huge prism that we're looking at through different facets. And so different facets of the prism show different ways in which the light comes through and the light breaks into different parts. So try to hold it very lightly because when you get attached to the path, you lose track of the truth, the underlying light. And that sounds like a Kellyism to me. (laughs) (laughs) That is lovely. Okay. Is there anything else you want to hit? So don't forget to come up to the Spirit Sherpa by Kelly Sparta Facebook group. I'm going to be doing some more experiential type stuff in there. So for those of you who have been all excited about the uh, sound healings and the the rituals that I've done on the podcast, uh, this would be another way to do that. And that's where they'll be announced. So if you don't want to miss out on that, you'll want to come into the group. Jason, why don't you tell us where we can find you? If they go to Jason Shulman Public Figure, people can ask questions and uh, I'll be alerted, and I will definitely answer them. Okay. Happily, <laughs> happily answer them. And again, your website is societyofsouls.com. Right, societyofsouls.com. We also have a foundation, which is our not-for-profit outreach, and that's called nonduality.us.com. And on there, there are free readings, free teachings, free excerpts from the books and uh, other people from the community who put their two cents into. Awesome. All right. This has been great. You know, Joey, we haven't asked anybody to rate recently. We haven't. And you know what? We've hit a milestone, which I think is also important to share with the listeners because yeah, we, we had a goal for your last birthday, but I think we're doing really well since then. Why don't we you share did. that? We doubled the goal from last birthday. Last birthday, we were shooting for 50,000 downloads and this birthday, we just cracked 100,000. Yeah. So while we didn't make it last time, we did make it this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So we definitely want you to come on and wherever you're listening to podcasts out there in podcast land definitely subscribe and rate the podcast because it gives Kelly Ed some feedback on what she's doing and what you like about it and what you like about it because quite frankly let's let's be honest there's nothing you don't like about it so <laughs> <laughs> so let's just let's just give that good feedback. But definitely rate the podcast because that's going to help other people find it, which is really a big part of the work that we're all doing, you as listeners and us as content creators, is being able to share this message with the people who need it when they need yeah. it the most. And speaking of which, please share this with your friends. If you find that you have a friend who needs this information, please share it with them. Uh, so many people come to me and say, hey, my friend shared the podcast and it's just awesome. And, and so, you know, sharing is caring. Perfect. Okay. That is all that we have for this week. But... 
Be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Joey C., here with Kelly Sparta and Jason Schulman, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye. Spirit Sherpa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A dot com. That's Kelly at KellySparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to KellySparta.com. This episode of Spirit Sherpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions. And my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.